careful. We need spirit-led discipleship because our affections can get us in a whole mess of trouble. We need to change those affections. And lastly, why do we need spirit, Holy Spirit-led discipleship? Because there's no life transformation aside from the work of the Holy Spirit. If it's not the Spirit of God working in you, then there won't be true, lasting, Jesus Christ glorifying transformation in your life. There, there, there might be some progress that you look to, to for a little while, even enough that you can tell other people, look at me, check me out. Look, I'm doing so much better here. Be careful. Be careful. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, there's no true transformation that glorifies Jesus Christ. Ever. I'll tell you a story. I told a couple of people this before. A few weeks ago, I was in the gym. See, because our tendency is to think we've made it somewhere. The scripture says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, right? So we, we, we go right there. There's a reason why the scripture says that, because that's our tendency to do. So I had just started working out again, as you can tell. And I'm in the gym, and I, I'm, I'm pumping some iron. And I'm on this curl bar. And I'm killing it. At least I thought so. I've got the weight on this curl bar. Both hands. And I'm just slow but short. Just bam! And I'm just looking at this bicep just growing by the minute. Dude, look at that thing. Get up off of that thing. I'm just bam! Bam! So I get off of that machine and I go to the machine behind it and this dude comes behind me looks like mm, like like his biceps are bigger than my thighs he's a monster this monster gets on the machine he's all dreaded out and everything I was thinking of getting my dreads but I decided against it but he gets on the machine and he puts both hands on the weight. And I'm looking and say, ah, he didn't even change the weight. Look at me, Larry, you are a beast. <laughs> he's got his hand and he's taking his time. I'm like, yeah, that's hard, man, that's hard. I'm not, that's not no play weight there. Then he takes one hand off the weight and goes, boom, 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 boom. I said, Jesus, stop it. <laughs> I thought it was something, but I sure wasn't that. We need Holy Spirit-led discipleship because we think we're somewhere where we're not. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. Our problem, y'all, is that we sometimes put a little confidence in the flesh. Sometimes a lot. But Paul says, y'all, we put no confidence in the flesh. 
We need Holy Spirit-led discipleship because apart from that, we are impotent. We are unable to do anything that would please God. So now, the way of Holy Spirit-led discipleship. Talked about the need for it now. The way of Holy Spirit-led discipleship. How do we do this thing? Paul starts out here in verse 2. Verse 2 is the setup verse. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is a setup verse for Paul. Verse 3 is going to be the close. But he brings them back to their initial salvation experience. He says, remember back in the day when I was with you guys and I was preaching the word to you guys and I put out Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. I put him out there right before your eyes. Now let me ask you this. And that's what he's talking about when did you receive the Spirit? I'm not talking about some subsequent experience after salvation where I spoke in tongues or I did whatever I did. He's, when, he, when you receive the Spirit, he's talking about when you were justified, when you were regenerated, when God came into your heart and changed your life forever. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? They've got nothing to say. I mean, it's a, rhetor a rhetorical question that Paul is asking because he's the one that put the gospel out there that they responded to. And he knows that the gospel that they responded to was Jesus Christ is everything. There's nothing you can do to add to. There's nothing you can do to earn. Piper puts it this way. He says, faith in works and works of faith are mutually exclusive. So Paul is putting the question out here to the Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit? Were you saved? Were you justified? Were you regenerated by the Spirit of God because of something you did? Or, be, or by hearing with faith? There's nothing they can say. He's taught them the gospel. They've accepted the good news of salvation that was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So he set them up. Did receive the Spirit by works of faith. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse 20, this is what Paul glories in, what God has done for him. On behalf of him, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives, Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul glories in the gospel of the fact that his life is wrapped up with Jesus Christ. There was a little kid song years ago, wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Oh, come on, old people, we know that one. Maybe even some young people know it. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. He is excited about the fact that 
that he has been crucified with Christ, he says. You know, we, we talk about the fact, and the scripture talks about the fact that coming to Christ changes our relationship with him, right? I talked about it a little bit last week in, in, a, in an emotional moment, but we talked about how we're no longer slaves, and this is from Galatians chapter 4, but now we're sons. And there's a truth of God-changing relationship. But there's an even more amazing truth, if you will, in these verses. It's not just that we get a change in relationship, but it is that God Himself, the living God, takes up residence in our lives. Peter says it this way, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He talks about... The great and precious promises that God has granted us, he says, so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. That's crazy, man. I don't know if you get that, but he says, we become partakers of the divine nature. God implants himself in us by his Holy Spirit. God is doing this work in his people. So he establishes the fact that the Spirit comes to us by faith, and that's a setup for verse 3. So in verse 3 again, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Same word perfected there is used in Philippians 1.6, where he says, I'm confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you, he will perform it, he will complete it, he will bring it to fruition even until the day of Jesus Christ. The one who is perfecting you is at work and Paul's able to say to the Philippians, I'm confident that God is working in you this way. But he says to these saints, do you think you're now being perfected by the flesh? This whole thing started by the Spirit of God. How is it then? That you can think that you're being perfected by the flesh. This is the central issue that Paul has with the Galatians. This is the beef that he's dealing with. This is what he's angry about. This is what he's animated about. They believe that they can point to certain things. It was Judaizers who had come in from Jerusalem. Those who had uh, converted to Christianity from Judaism. But they... They converted in such a way that they said Jesus is great, but you need also to be circumcised. You need also to observe certain days. You need also to do things in a certain way that's in line with Abraham and Moses and our forefathers. If you do all those things, you're good. And they bewitched the Galatian saints. They bought it. They believed it. I will use that. I said, I, I, I can't carry this. I felt like, you know, David said when they tried to put Saul's armor on him, I don't know that armor, but it's hot, y'all, so I'm going to sweat. Thank you, sir. Does that look good? So Paul is dealing with the fact that they have been they bought this, this lie. But the lie that they buy is something that appeals to them. Why? 
Because the flesh always loves something it can take credit for. They, they can prove the reality of their growth in Christ because they can say, look, I take off that, I got circumcised. I take off that, it was Passover and I went to temple. I can take off this. We can have that exact same tendency. We love a quote-unquote sanctification where we can prove that we've done it because we've taken off the sheets. We can say, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I did this, I did that. Look at me, I'm growing. Look at me. Whenever you're telling someone to look at you, you're probably not growing. When you're telling them, look at Jesus Christ, and perhaps there's real growth going on. So they're taking things off the list, what they've done. And that's always the downfall of progress in a believer's life. So even though the issues are different 2,000 years ago than they are today, the heart of the matter is the same. What we deal with, what Paul was dealing with in the Galatians, the Judaizers said Christ is wonderful, Christ is great, but He's not quite enough. And so they were able to say, well, we're Christians now, we claim Christ as our own, but we also can still hold our heads up high and walk with a mad swagger because we are those who are Abraham's children. We're, we're in the line of Moses. So even though you convert over to us and you can be circumcised and you can do these things, yet we still have a special place in the kingdom that's a little bit different than yours and, and, and we can flaunt that thing. That's the spirit of the thing. How does that happen in churches today? How does that happen in the kingdom today? Every way, all kind of ways. I see it over and over again. Almost every Christian community that, that I've been a part of, you can see things. There are pet doctrines that we have that set us aside. Not Christ crucified, but some other pet doctrines that we have that we hold up in such a way and we give them an importance and a weight that they were never meant to have. And so in some communities we can say, look, I speak in tongues. And that sets me apart. You can be a Christian too, but I am a special Christian because I speak in tongues. In some communities we say, well, you know what? We baptize this way. We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Bible said we're supposed to baptize that way. Another community says, well, we baptize in Jesus' name. Because that's what the Bible says. And someone else says, well, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name. Deal with that. We have all kind of ways, things that we begin to hold up and hold out and say, this is what sets us apart. This is what makes us special. This is why we're important. This is why we're more superior to someone else. And then it could be all kinds of other things that we get caught up in. What we don't do. I have never seen an R-rated movie. In fact, I've never seen a movie that had a rating that started with a letter from the alphabet. That's how holy I am. I don't even know what that means. You've been looking at unrated stuff? I don't know if that's good. We can put on all kinds of things, right? Sets us apart. 
car make us feel special. Something we can take off our list, make us better. How does that work itself out? In a reformed community like ours, reformed theology, this same type of immaturity manifests in reformed communities all the time. There's an unholy swagger. That's why I said swagger. That we're better than others because of our doctrinal purity. We got this thing right. We got a corner on the word. The, the, the sad thing is, even in the Reformed community, we're going to fight each other. We're going to devour each other over these things to demonstrate our superiority. And really, no one's quite Reformed enough until they're Reformed like me. We fight the fights. We parse verbs. We go after it. Look, as believers, we ought to desire to rightly divide the word of truth. We take the Bible seriously. We take doctrine seriously. We ought to. Doctrine is about living this Christian life and getting the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us. Doctrine's important. But then we misuse it in such a way to bash others over the head with a Bible that often has a brick in it. Boom! We're bashing folks. Unholy swagger. When your swagger comes from anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ, it's an idolatrous manifestation of ungodly pride. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. When you're proud about something, when you have that kind of uh, uh, that kind of swagger, Pastor a while ago talked about humble swagger. <laughs> That's when we're hidden with Christ in God and said, "Look at Him, man! Look at Him! Look at Jesus! Look at my Savior!" And yes, He's changing me. He's He's working in my life. But look at Him. Look what He's doing. So when we have this confusion that the Galatians had, it says again in verse 3, have begun the Spirit you now being perfected by the flesh. How are some ways that we would we would know that we're, we're falling into that category, being perfected by the flesh? Three things, just real quickly. Number one, ignorance about the true nature of the Gospel. We think the Gospel is something that it's not. We think it's something other than the free beautiful grace of God in Jesus Christ that sets us free from sin and sets us apart from His works. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, sometimes also when we preach free forgiveness, full redemption, irreversible acceptance, infinite love, boundless grace, unchangeable justification, when we have declared that the Lord's mercy endures forever and that men must, men, and that men but to look at Jesus and then and there find eternal life, then faith has dropped on men's minds as dew upon the grass. He lays out the gospel, the beautiful free grace of God in Jesus Christ. The theologian Franklin put it this way, I can't explain it. I can't contain it. Jesus should love it so. It's so amazing. It gets me high up to the sky. And when I think about your goodness, You didn't know that theologian, did you? 
we're getting the gospel screwed up. We're thinking there's something other than this. Number two, a performance-based mentality. We fall into that performance-based mentality. Be careful, y'all. It's something that's right there for each and every one of us. My joy and my confidence are predicated on my performance. We live that in our families. It's all we know. I'm trying to please my dad. I'm trying to please my mom. I'm trying to make somebody happy. And my performance is everything. Not so in the kingdom of God. Got to get away from the performance-based mentality. I love Hebrews 4.16 where it said it. In talking about the Savior that we have who understands our weakness, but in, in the 16th verse of Hebrews 4, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, receive mercy, and find grace to help in the time of need. He doesn't say that we may find grace to help in the time when we've ticked everything off, we've been doing our devotions, we've been spending three hours a day in prayer, we've got it all together. But he says we can find confidence before the throne of grace, not because of what we've done, but we find that mercy and that grace freely there because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. My confidence in coming before God is not because of my performance, it's because of His performance. When you find yourself in that performance-based mentality, you know you're in trouble. And the last thing is, we use a system of comparison design to make me feel better about myself. See, whatever rules we set up are the rules that we like to keep. Maybe you're real good at prayer in the morning, so that's your rule. What you did on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, you, you got your prayer rule. I'm good. I'm in good because... Because I did my prayers. Now I ain't going to talk about what I did on Friday and Saturday night now. Because that's not my rule. That's somebody else's rule. We set up rules. We set up things that can make us feel good about ourselves. And it gives us the ability to continually put others down that don't measure up to our standard. That is going back to the law. That is being perfected by the flesh. So how do we practically become perfected or sanctified by the working of the Holy Spirit? How do we do that practically? Number one, recognize the Holy Spirit is the only source and wellspring of life. The Holy Spirit is the only source and wellspring of life. Again, verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing the faith? It's only the Holy Spirit being manifested in you that gives you new life that is from Christ. So the question we need to ask ourselves is where else am I looking for life? Am I looking forward in my associations with other people that I think are important? Do I look for it in my reputation? What others think of me? Is it in how I look? What I have? what I do. Be careful where you find life. And remember that the enemy is always there to give you a substitute for Jesus Christ. It says in John 15, 5, apart from me you can do nothing. So recognize the Holy Spirit is the only source of well-spring of life. Secondly, this is critical. Continually dwell upon the reality of Christ 
crucified. This is critical. Well, on the reality of Christ crucified, Paul said again in verse 1, in, in verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This has to become, if we're going to grow in Christ, by His Spirit, looking to Christ at all times, in every way, has to become the mantra of the Christian life. Usually I think a guitar has six strings, right? Yes. Who's a musician? Yeah, six. Okay, I got the thumbs up sign. We need a guitar with one string, and that's Jesus. Or six strings that all say Jesus, 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 Jesus. Seeing Christ portrayed as crucified, dwelling upon the reality of Christ is what we need to do. If we're going to grow by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be because our eyes are consistently fixed on Christ. Our problem is our, our minds, our eyes, and our hearts and our passions get involved with so many other things. We get caught up in life. Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. Not to turn there because of time, but in Luke chapter 10, you know the story. Martha is all about Jesus is coming over for dinner. Oh my goodness, we got to clean now. We got to cook. We got to get this joint ready because Jesus is coming. And I know the way he likes it when he comes over here. She's cleaning, she's cooking, she's she's doing everything she can do to make the house right. Mary, her sister, goes out to Jesus before he ever gets there and just sits at his feet and worships him. And Martha complains. She complains. She comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can't you see how hard I'm working? I'm doing all this stuff to get ready for you. And my lazy sister is just hanging out, doing no work, sitting at your feet worshiping. Come on. There's something to do. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, I love you, girl. But Mary has chosen the better thing. What are you caught up in? I know we just went through a thing and with the, with the flyers almost getting the Stanley Cup, right? I don't know how many black people care about the Stanley Cup, but maybe some do. I don't know, white brothers care a lot about the Stanley Cup. But, but whatever it may be, we get so caught up in those things. And I remember a, a, a guy I knew some years ago when the Eagles lost a playoff game or something, and he was like at the point of suicide. Kill myself. The Eagles lost. I said, man, I kill myself a million times. If I kill myself every time the Eagles lose a big game, I better be a cat. I need nine lives at least. I'm in trouble. We get caught up in stuff, stupid stuff. And see, what I, what I realize is I get caught up in stuff, and when I get really angry about things that really don't matter that much, it's because I've taken my eyes off of the risen Savior. The one who is my hope. So, so what? My car, I have a problem with my car. So what? You know, there's a little friction in this relationship. We'll get through it. So what? The ego's lost. So what? I'm having some struggles on my job. Not that we don't care about those things. 
things, but we don't blow them out of proportion. We don't lose our peace. Because we know that Jesus Christ is right there. Our eyes are fixed on Him. Look at, and I just want to look at a few verses real quickly about how Paul goes through this. 1 Corinthians, just look at a couple verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the word of the cross, keeping my eyes fixed on Him. It's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 22. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified, he says. And look at verse 2 of chapter 2. I love this. Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Call me a dummy if you want. Say, oh, all He knows is that Jesus stuff. He says always, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Tell me something else, Paul. He says, you know what? I decided not to know anything else. I knew a lot of stuff. I had a lot of knowledge. I went to seminary with Gamaliel. I went, I was with the big dogs. But you know what? When I came to you, I decided put it all, put all the books aside. Everything else aside, it's Jesus. Crucified. That's what I know. And then what does he say? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling, verse 3. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words. The word means persuasive words. In other words, it wasn't top-notch rhetoric. But in a demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Focusing on the crucified and risen Savior. Ah, if there was only one thing I left with today, I hope that would be it. Honestly, dwelling upon the reality of Christ crucified, getting that in your heart, letting that be the main source of your affection. So we recognize the Holy Spirit is the only source and wellspring of life. We dwell upon the reality of Christ crucified. Thirdly, we realize that faith alone in Christ alone is the conduit of Spirit-led transformation. Verse 3, again, Paul says, Ah, I'm in First Corinthians right now. Verse 3, Again, are you so foolish having you done by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? The only way to be perfected and transformed is by faith alone in Christ alone. Twice in this short passage here, here he uses the term in verse 2, and then again in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, hearing with faith. It's hearing with faith. It's hearing with faith. Hearing the word of the gospel and grasping onto it, believing it by faith. Realize that that is the only thing that leads to spirit-led transformation. 
When we put our trust in people, people are fickle, people change. Myself, I can tend to be a people-pleasing person. I want people to like me. But I've had to watch that in my walk with Christ. Because that, that, has a, that can have an easy tendency to make me compromise in places where I don't need to compromise. Addictions are cruel. They give you a rush. They give you pleasure, but then they leave you crushed on the other end. Only Christ is the consistent one. He never changes. He makes good on every promise. And you realize that your faith in Christ alone is the way that you'll be transformed by the Spirit. And lastly, in terms of how we transform, understand that confidence in anything other than Christ is an outright rejection of the Gospel that makes Christ's atoning work unnecessary. Realize that, I'll say that again, Understand that confidence in anything other than Christ is an outright rejection of the gospel that makes Christ's atoning work unnecessary. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words... It was all a big mistake. Didn't have to happen. The word nullify that he uses in that, that verse means to set aside, to declare something as invalid or to reject it. In other words, he says, if this other gospel that's being preached is that there's something else other than Christ, then Christ's death on the cross was needless. It was a waste, not only a waste of time, but it was the most cruel and an ugly manifestation of how unholy God is. Because it didn't have to happen. But we realize that indeed the cross of Christ is necessary. It is everything to us. Believers, let's focus on Him. So lastly and briefly, talk about the need the Holy Spirit-led discipleship, the way of Holy Spirit-led discipleship, and lastly, the impact of Holy Spirit-led discipleship. Four things very briefly. Number one, it reverses the trickery of the enemy. When we come back to a place where we are relying on the pure gospel of Jesus Christ with no additives or preservatives, when we come back to that pure gospel that Paul originally preached to the Galatians and that we have in the Word of God, we're no longer bewitched. We're no longer confused. We're no longer led astray. Number two, it puts your confidence in God and Him alone. Not in yourself, not in your status, not in who you hang with, not in who says that what you are saying is right. Not in anything else. Your confidence is placed firmly in God alone. Thirdly, the impact of Holy Spirit-led discipleship is this. It takes away every pretense of pride. Scripture says in one place, knowledge 
puffs up. But wisdom manifests itself with humility. That's why in Proverbs 8 and 9, when it's talking about getting wisdom, getting wisdom, wisdom always manifests itself in humility. Knowledge often puffs up and we think we're something because of what we know. But if the Holy Spirit is growing you in Christ, you will, pride will be dealt with. Probably over and over and over again. I don't know about y'all, but it has a way of keep, it keeps rearing its ugly head. But if the Holy Spirit's working in your life, he's, he's dealing with that. And lastly, the impact of Holy Spirit-led discipleship is that it results in transformational growth in Christ. If you are taking in the pure Word of God, if you are fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ and in Him crucified, in what He has done for you, your life will be transformed. There's not a maybe about it. There's not a I hope so about it. Jesus said that He's looking for fruit in our lives. John 15, He talks about, you know, we're going to get cut one way or the other. He says, if there's no fruit, you're not even part of mine, so you'll be cut off and thrown into a fire. If there's fruit, God is going to take out the, the shearing scissors and He's going to prune you. There's always that pruning going on in the Christian life. But you will have growth. You will have fruit in your life. At the near the end of Galatians, in, in chapter 5 actually, he talks about walking by the Spirit versus walking by the flesh. And he lays out the fact that if we are walking by the Spirit, we will manifest spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That will become more and more the reality of your Christian walk in life. As we get ready to close this morning, <coughs> my question is, is that what's happening in your life? Are you seeing God get a hold of you in a way, and it's hard sometimes, but He'll shake you. He'll discipline you. He'll work on you. But you're beginning to see one thing drop off. Another thing drop off. You're beginning to see your affection more and more is stirred up by the things of God. And the things that once mattered so much to you don't matter. Quite so much anymore. I pray that that would be true for every person in this room. That the growing reality that the Holy Spirit is leading us in a path of transformational discipleship would be real in your life. It will be real in my life. Jesus Christ has been clearly portrayed as crucified before your eyes. If you've been here at Epiphany for any length of time, we preach Christ and Him crucified. My appeal to you today is don't add anything to that to make you something. Don't look anywhere else for something to build you up. Look 
full in His wonderful face and glory in the one who has bought you before the foundation of the world who in time captured you by His word to take you the rest of the way home. Let's pray.